Thanks so much. Man, we could go home right now. I'd be happy. That's literally how I feel after, uh, after worship and Lou. Take, a, take an offering, give an altar call, let's go home. It, uh, um, it really is a real honor to be here. And, and uh, just honestly, um, that worship was really, really good. I literally thought we should just keep going. Don't put us up there. It's well as, that's what we're here for, right? We're here, we're here to encounter God. So just really appreciate uh, Bethany and Daryl and, and what they've done out here. Uh, really have, honestly, from California, been so impressed and inspired by the lamp that they've placed out here. And we are believing uh, God with you for New England, the whole Northeast. And uh, we really do believe that God wants to do something significant out here. So it's good to be here with you guys, as well as, as with Lou and Therese. You know, there, there really are, I was flying out here, actually, on the plane and thinking about, in, uh, uh, was that in 2001, uh, when the call New England? What month was it? Sept- it was sept- September September 2001, 11 days after 9-11 happened, uh, I remember flying out here on a plane that literally probably had about 15 people on it. Nobody was on the plane. Nobody was flying, flying out here and, and um, come in and sleeping on the floor of uh, Lou's room. I, we just flew out. We didn't know we were doing in our 20s, you know. So all I remember, I remember sleeping on the floor in Lou's room and praying that night before the event and and, and hearing like nobody was going to come because they were all scared of what happened and, and then going that next day and just gathering was really unbelievable. So there, are, uh, there, there really are only a handful of people that have shaped me at a really deep level of, of who I am and lose one of those guys. I, I actually, anytime anybody has a problem with me, I want to wear a shirt that says, I am not my fault. And then, and then on the back, just lift, list the people who have really influenced me and be like... <laughs> If you have a problem with me, it's because of them, all right? I am not my fault. That's my new phrase. And so uh, he really is one of them. And I have a friend who just met him the other day, and he texts me. Uh, this friend texts me. They, they did something on TV and together. He goes, Benny, I, I met Lou for the first time. I said, what do you think? He said, he melted my face off. <laughs> that was his description of Lou. I said, you couldn't have said it better. <laughs> that happens to me all the time. So uh, it is really good to be out here. we uh, give you a quick uh, kind of recap of my story. Uh, I grew up, I was born and raised in Redding, California. Uh, there's a church out there called Bethel. I was there, I was there before Bill was. And, um, and, and when I was 19, I, when I was 19, I was interning at Bethel Church. And uh, Bill came on staff, and, uh, and I, I personally mentored Bill for the next 18 years. And uh, really just super encouraged by what God's done in his life. And it's one of those situations where the student surpasses the teacher, and I couldn't be more proud. But, um, but I, was, I was on staff at Bethel from 19 for 18 years. And uh, so we were on staff there, our youth pastor for most of that. And uh, during that time, uh, you know, the Lord just really started visiting the youth group, and we started doing these little conferences we called Jesus Culture. And, and again, I don't know how much you would know about our world, but uh, the worship team that we have, the band that we have, Kim and Chris. So, so Chris is 32. He was 12 when I started youth pastoring. He was a junior high kid. And uh, he was kind of my first ever spiritual son. We bought him a, his first drum set. That type of thing was at my house all the time. And, 
And uh, so he was 12. And uh, 20 years later, he's the uh, worship pastor at our church in Sacramento. And he's got kids and just love that guy. And, and Kim, uh, Kim, who's 33, um, had just turned 18 and came to uh, Reading and got really just plugged into our youth group and involved. And was part of our little college leadership team and was our social activities coordinator. And, and, uh, and we would do a Friday night prayer meeting. Every Friday night from 9 to 11, we'd gather young people. You know, there might be 20, there might be 40. But we'd gather every Friday night just faithfully from 9 to 11 to pray for revival in our city. And she'd come and lead worship at our little, our little prayer meeting night. And there was, you know, it was like her and a drummer. Literally sometimes I think it was her and a drummer and some other guys sometimes. And, and uh, so uh, it's just been... So kind of Jesus culture, we started doing these things, and things started growing out of that. And, and, then, uh, um, and then two years ago, we moved. Uh, we were sent uh, from Bethel after being, being on staff there for 18 years. Lived in one city my entire life until recently. And, and then uh, moved to Sacramento, where we planted a church a year ago. So uh, September 13th is our year anniversary. So we've been down there. Yeah, thank you. We've been down there for a year, having an incredible time. Honestly, just having the time of our lives just been so rewarding uh, just building the local church and going after to see revival in the city, and we've just had a blast. It's it's been amazing. Some really incredible testimonies. I don't want to get all into all of them, but we had a lady with stage four lung cancer, and it had spread into other parts of her body. She came, and uh, this is this year, the be- uh, beginning of this year. She came and just got some prayer from some of our team in, ba- in the back. She went back to the doctor, and uh, a couple weeks later, and they they did uh, you know all the scans and the, all that stuff again, and. And all the cancer, not a trace of cancer in her body, completely healed. She, they keep having her come back because they don't believe it. She just got a new doctor. She I talked to her a couple, you know, a couple weeks ago on Sunday. She goes, I got a new doctor. They're having me come back in. They don't really believe it. And every time she comes back in, it's the same report. There's no cancer. And so stage four. So we've had some really amazing stuff. We just see people find community, encounter God, find community at a deep level. It's been really rewarding. One, one of my, probably one of my favorite testimonies is this happened more than once. Women will come up after the service and they're like, Banning, I love our church. I love our church. The only problem is every Sunday I go home and my makeup is completely ruined. And, uh, and I, just, I just love hearing the stories of people encountering God. And we tell them, hey, listen, don't wear makeup or make sure it's uh, waterproof, one or the other, because we just love the presence of God. So my, uh, my wife, I'm married been married, uh, thank you so much, Jared. I've been married uh, 18 years this December, I have a 16-year-old girl who's a junior in high school, a little basketball player, and uh, I've got a 13-year-old girl who's a 7th grader, and then I have a 10-year-old son who's a 4th grader, and uh, they, um, they, they'll they travel with us periodically, but they're out doing life, and it's pretty crazy that I have two teenage daughters, I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around that one. My 16-year-old who don't say anything, but she just kind of got her first boyfriend ever, uh, and uh, which is I'm just scared out of my mind about. But we won't we won't bring that up. But she's amazing. My daughter's doing amazing. Loves Jesus. I'm trustful with all my heart. But everything inside of me is like, um, anyways. <laughs> There's only one man in life you're supposed to cuddle with. All right, and that's me. Um, but I went and I told her. I said, hey. I want to, I, I want to, he had come over to our house to meet us, and, but I said, I want to just, I want to have a meeting with him. I'd like to talk with him one-on-one. She's like, come on, dad, no, no. I don't want to kill him, but come on, let me talk to him. And, no. So he kind of lives 30 minutes away in Sacramento, so I went and picked him up, and me and him in a car by ourselves for a while. And, 
He was petrified. <laughs> He's a good kid, though. I talked to him. So anyways, all right. <laughs> uh, we have a, uh, um, I, I do want to talk through some stuff tonight. I'm glad that I'm starting, not ending. I, I don't ever like following Lou. It's, it's always a little bit, it's always like hitting after Barry Bonds. He just kind of like, but um, I, I do, I, it really is an honor to be able to come out uh, and just kind of sow into this community, invest in this community. I just so deeply believe in the cause here. I so deeply believe in what you're going after and, and uh, really what you've kind of given your lives for and really do believe that God is going to ignite prayer at a deeper level in the body of Christ, that he really is calling intercessors, that intercession is going to move out of the back rooms with some elderly women who, by the way, I love with all of my heart. Uh, um, we have elderly women that pray for us. I don't know. We fly them actually to our conferences. There's a group of ladies, literally, that we fly, and they just sit in the audience and just pray. I have such a high value. But it's time for the intercession to just move out of some back room, you know, that, that we kind of think is just for elderly women, and uh, that it actually moves into the body of Christ. So, so I have a real path. I just love that you guys are doing what you're doing. And, and I, I specifically want to talk to you tonight about um, uh, this issue of really carrying the word of the Lord. As, as intercessors, our job is to get the word of the Lord and carry the word of the Lord for a city and nation. Uh, this is what he asked of us. Uh, this is what he's looking for is that, you know, as believers in general, we're, we're to know, you know, Kingdom Leadership 101 is find out where Jesus is going, find out what he's saying, and go there, say that, and bring a bunch of people with you. This is the, you know, at the base level, that's what it is. Like, the, we're doing the best we can to follow Jesus. When, when people go like, well, you know, how'd you get where you are, and what's the strategy you're doing, and how do you map this out, and say, honestly, I, it sounds silly, but we're doing the best we can to follow Jesus. We kind of ended up here, even planting a church right now, literally three years ago, wasn't even on my radar, wasn't even close to on my radar. And, uh, but, but, you know, every step is just, Lord, what are you asking? Where are we going? I want to know what you're doing. I want to know what you're saying. And, and, and as intercessors and as those who have really said we want to give ourselves to prayer, uh, you know, that, that key piece is you, you've got to know what the word of the Lord is, and you have to be able to carry that. And what this nation needs and what your city needs is people that would actually understand what he's saying and carry that in a real deep way. I'm going to talk to you about that, but here's my concern, and I'm going to give you a quick introduction that's going to be a, a little bit of a longer introduction. Your ability to hear the word of the Lord is, is attached to the root system that you have developed in this word. Part of, um, part of my concern a little bit in the body of Christ right now is, is that we, we love um, the prophetic, we love the fresh rhema word, we love that stuff, but we've somehow um, lost our way when it comes to really rooting ourselves deeply in the word of God. And, and many of the leaders that you'll see in the body of Christ, this is just how we were raised. You, you, you were raised by just putting your roots down in Scripture. This is just, you know, your default mode was, what does the Bible say about this? And it's slowly begun to not be the default mode anymore. I, I, want, you to, I want you to be fruitful in your life. But the Bible is very clear that if you're going to be fruitful in your life, Psalms 1, that, that where you're rooted or where um, your roots go down matter. 
It just matters. You have to be very, very intentional about certain things in your life. One of them is this. What is the foundation you're building on, and where is your root system planted in? We all love the concept of fruit. We all applaud fruit. We all love fruit. We all want fruit. But, but if you really want fruit that remains, if you really want fruit that lasts, then you have to pay attention to your root system. You have to pay attention to uh, all healthy, lasting, impactful fruit is attached to a healthy, thriving root system. And where that root system finds soil matters. Uh, just down the street from us, well, a couple cities over, a city called Vacaville, California. It's kind of in between Sacramento and San Francisco. And my wife's granny is 93 years old. She was born there, and she recently moved back to live on this little farm that they still own, her family still owns. And so we would go, we'd go over there and visit granny, and, and Vacaville's kind of a farming community. And, 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 and so we, we went over there. The first time I went to visit her on this little farm a few years ago, we drove in. And, and I, you know, I grew up in the suburbs, you know. We, we didn't have fruit trees, or we didn't have any of this type of stuff. And and so I remember going on this little farm, and there was an orange tree. And I said, uh, uh, I said, can I have one of those oranges? And they're like, yeah, sure, you could have an orange. So I'm like, I can just pick it and eat it? They're like, yeah, because you know, I only see these in grocery stores. This is amazing. Like, so I, 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 remember, I, I remember this. I got one. I, I opened it. And I started eating this orange. And it was, it was the most unbelievable orange I'd ever had. It was it was like perfect texture, juicy, sweet. It was amazing. I, I had three or four of them, and 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 I and every time we go back, I'm not even thinking about Granny. I literally am like, oh, I can't wait to have an orange. I want an orange. Like, it was that good. And Granny's become secondary in our visits. And but I asked her. I said, why? Why is this so good? And she began to describe. I said, why are these oranges so good? You know what her answer is? It's the soil. She began to describe the soil that's found in Vacaville and why fruit trees thrive there. And, you know, it was all, you know, it's the depth and the, and the texture and the drainage. It was all this type of nutrients. But, but when I asked, why is this fruit so good? Her answer was, it's the soil. In your life, especially as the intercessors, your fruit is going to be attached to your ability to get your roots deep in Scripture. You have to put your roots deep in Scripture. You have, you, have to, you have to cultivate a love for the Word of God, a love for the Bible, and you have to put your roots firmly. Listen, we all want to change the world. But, but our lives have to be rooted deeply in Scripture. This, listen, this book... Jesus focuses a lot on the issue of foundation and inner life, right? Your root system. In fact, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you know, those of you that hear these saints and do these, your life will be founded. It's, it's, it's that my life becomes founded on what's in this book, and fruit is a result of that. And, and part, of my, part of my issue right now is this, is that truth is found in one place, Listen, truth is not found in public opinion, and truth is not found in your feelings. And both of those things are somewhat driving, and this is important as intercessors, because as intercessors, we have to be locked in on that issue of truth. We have to be locked in and firmly planted in that. 
as intercessors, we're emotional beings as intercessors. Have you hung around intercessors any length of time? Like, they're emotional, and they're raw, and they're creative. Listen, and, 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 and the problem is, if, if, if you think, and again, we don't, right now, the defining line that's happening is, where's truth found? Truth is not, truth is found in scripture, it's not found in public opinion. Listen, a million people could vote for something. 300 million people could vote for something. It doesn't mean it's true. Truth isn't found there. Truth is not found in our feelings. Just because you feel something does not make it true. I I remember that um, I was... you, You know, we've had these conversations of like, well, it just doesn't feel like God. It just doesn't feel like he would do that. I just can't imagine that God would be like that. And I just think, when did we start defining... Listen, truth is not found in my feelings or what I can imagine. When did we start thinking that somehow my imagination is where truth is found? I had a... There was a book that came out a while ago, and I don't want to talk about the book. There was a book that came out a while ago, and and the theology was uh, controversial. And, um, and so I kind of followed it from a distance, a little bit of the conversation, and I found a blog, a video blog online where a guy was defending the theology of the book. And he, um, and the way he defended it was, he, it was a pretty well-made video too, he stands up and he starts telling a story about a guy who went and grabbed a puppy, and he hung that puppy up by his feet, and he began to poke his eyes out. And then, and then he said, and then he said, I just can't believe that God would do that. And then that was, the, that, that was the whole blog. And I just sat there watching the blog goes, well, what does that have to do with anything? What is what you can imagine or what you feel like or what you believe? Like, I don't want you to tell me a story about a puppy. I want you to show me scripture. Like, truth is not found in, in that. Truth is found in this. And we're, we're in this mode of, of somehow, um, I had a, again, I don't want to get into this, but when the Supreme Court made their decision recently about the issue of gay marriage, I, we, we had a, uh, I sat down with our church and we just had a talk. We had a family, I sat on a stool and just said, can we have a family talk about this? And, and as we talked through it, we just kind of processed through and, and things. And I talked about like, listen, truth is found in here and, and the Bible is not unclear on certain issues. And, uh, um, but afterwards, a young lady came up to me. She was, in her, she was 20 years old. She went to a university in, uh, in the area, and she'd come periodically to her church. Sweet girl. You could tell she loved Jesus. You could tell that she was really doing this. And she said, hey, I'm struggling a little bit about some of what you're talking about. I'm really in process with this. And, and again, I, I don't want to get into this issue right now, but, but, but she said, you know, I have very, very close friends who are homosexual and and. and, and and she kind of, and she was being very honest. She's like, I'm just struggling trying to process through this type of stuff. And she, and she said this. She says, I've, I've, uh, um, I've, I've studied a lot. Like, I've done a lot of research. And I've, I've read a lot of studies on these issues. And, and I know the statistics and the studies they've shown about, about uh, um, suicide rates and things like that. And I just stopped her. I said, hey, I really appreciate your heart and stuff. But I said, I have to start with Scripture. Um, I can't base my life, I, I can't put my foundation, I can't attach it to a study that somebody did. Everything else is shaky except for this. There is no other foundation. 
There is no other foundation that's firm except for this. And I said, listen, I don't mind talking about those studies. I think we should process them and talk about them, but they can't be where I'm looking for truth, and they can't be where I attach the foundation of my life. I've put my foundation in one place, and if we can start there, let's have a conversation. But this is part of my concern is even as intercessors, we have to be careful about this, that, that, we're, that, that it's kind of our feelings somewhat. It's, 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 uh, even in your own personal life, sometimes I just want to, you know, I just don't feel loved. I'm like, listen, you're feeling Feelings are not where truth is. <laughs> or I don't feel this, or I don't feel that. And, and, and we have to, and, and listen, I have a high value for feelings. I do. I, I'm, I'm, we come from a charismatic church, and, and we come from, we're, we, we're feelings, and I believe they can help and guide and all that. But the reality is, is they are not where truth is found. Even the issue of hopeless, I feel hopeless right now. Which is not true. It's not truth. When I read scripture, and this is important too, because as intercessors, this is one of the things you'll face. This issue of feeling overwhelmed and hopeless. You're on the front line. You're out there. You're plowing away. You're looking at the landscape in front of you, and it's bleak. (laughs) The problem is, is when I read scripture, man, I just read stories of... I read, I read Jehu. It looks like the absolute worst time in the nation. I mean, Je- Jezebel is still reigning. Elijah's gone. She's now not just in charge of, ah- you know, Ahab's gone, but she's not just in charge of the king of Israel. She's also influencing the king of Judah. There's idolatry and violence and sexual violence. It looks ble- it, it was hopeless. And, 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 and then I read the story that God speaks to one guy who decides to act. And in a day, an entire nation turns. In fact, listen, like, like this is where it doesn't matter if you feel hopeless. Anchor yourself in this thing. I, I, listen, I hope you understand this, that, that we're, we are very much moved by our feelings in our intercession. I'm going to talk to you in a second about a burden. We're very much moved by our feelings, but you would better be anchored to this, and when you want to know what truth is, you better be like, what's, what's the word of God say? Is it hopeless? Go get in the word and find out if it's hopeless. Very hard to get in this word and come away with it's hopeless. And I'll tell you this as well. If you're going to... If you're going to have a foundation to last, you live in a time right now where there is so much peer pressure coming at you to try to define for you what truth is. There's so much peer pressure to come to define truth. And, and, we, we, uh, um, and, and my concern is that we begin to get defensive. My concern is that we feel pain in the corner and powerless. But, but there's so much peer pressure that's coming you had better be anchored into truth. Because you can't, listen, as intercessors, I'm telling you, you're front line. And as front line, if you're not connected to, in a deep way, what truth is, it's going to be very overwhelming. I was at a Cubs game, you know, one of my bucket lists was to be able to go to Wrigley and Summit Wrigley and just, I mean, I just enjoying every minute of it. And and I think they were playing the Reds or the Pirates. I think it was the Reds. And they're playing the Reds. And there's a tradition. So there's 40,000 people at Wrigley. And there's a tradition at Wrigley and probably at other ballparks too. But when the opposing team hits a home run, you throw the ball back. 
it's like the ultimate just sign of just like, you know. I, so you, th- you throw the ball. You don't keep the home run ball until you throw it back. So Reds hit a home run. And the ball goes into like the bleachers and outfield. And I'm like second deck. I'm kind of, I'm looking down right there. So it's kind of right there. And then the stadium's here. And I'm looking down. The ball goes in the outfield. And, uh, uh, and the whole crowd immediately, throw it back, throw it back, throw it back. And the ball's not coming out. Probably some kid, you know, that got a, got a you know, Major League Baseball. He's just stoked. And the whole crowd, throw it back. That lasts about a minute, maybe even less. And then all of a sudden, because the ball's not coming out, the entire, the 40,000 people, 39,999, because I was not, starts booing. The entire place was looking at one, they were looking at one guy, and they were raining booze down. I'd never experienced anything like it. It was unreal. And they're like, boo! And this is Chicago, too. They're like, boo! I mean, they're, they're just booing this kid. And he held on, man. It was, it was, he was, he was, no, no, he was like, he's holding on. And it was like, it was probably only, it felt like five minutes. It was probably only 30 seconds. I mean, they're booing. And the ball's not moving. And all of a sudden, boo, boo, all of a sudden, out of the, out of the crowd, boop, the ball goes back out onto the field. And the place went ballistic. I mean, they just, they were so proud that they had gotten this person to throw that ball back. Listen, listen, I'm going to tell you, listen, you, li- you live in a day right now where there is so much peer pressure coming at you. And part of my concern is, is that we're calling the church to stand in love, in love, not defensive, not angry, but in love to stand. But the issue is, is that many people are having a hard time standing because they've never really taken the time to plant their, their roots in this word. They've never really taken the time to go deep into Scripture, to plant their life firm, and to have that moment to say, what does the Bible say about this? I want to call you to lead. I want to call you to go after God. I want to call you to hear the word of the Lord. But, but there really are kind of two guardrails that need to... If you're going to pursue God, and if you're going to embrace the prophetic and go after the word of the Lord and pursue intercession, there's two guardrails in your life. One is scripture, one is community. And, they ha- and you have to have a high value for those things. If you do not have a high value for those things, you're, you're in trouble. They, 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 Psalms 119.105, which is talking about scripture, says this, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. There, again, as, as intercessors, you need two guardrails in your life. Scripture, community. Scripture is that thing that when I begin to get off path, when I begin to get off Scripture is that thing that goes, oh, I've just stepped off. I need to get back on the path. It's the thing that lights that path, that shows me when I'm headed the right direction or not headed the right direction. And then community, which again, my big concern right now, what scares me the most, and I'm not here to tell you what scares me, but what concerns me the most is not people that are out on the edge in intercession, not people that are on the edge in the prophetic, not people that are out on the edge. It's people that, that do not have a what is the word of God say is the default mode. First thing you should be asking is, what's the word of God say? Yeah. 
but also those that are isolated and independent. Those, those that nobody can speak into their life, they're not really connected to anybody, they've got nobody that really, that First Peter 5, 5, they're not submitted to elders, they're not submitted to one another, and, and community. Listen, th- this is the crazy thing, because I, ta- I want to talk to you about getting the word of the Lord and carrying the word of the Lord, but this issue of scripture is first and foremost, because if you're not here, and I'll tell you this, your ability to hear the word is not activated, and if you're not here in the word of God or in community, that getting the word of the Lord begins to get kind of wobbly. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians 14, 29. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. I don't want to get into the whole thing of this, but here's the issue. The point is, is that God spoke to me and there's community that says, let's talk about that. Right? Let the prophetic come. But listen, the prophetic is not by itself. The prophetic is surrounded by community. And so, so in your life, if you're really going to sustain this thing long term, if you're really going to bear fruit for the distance, if you're really going to be able to be in this for the long haul, and, and hear me on this, we're not looking for people to be in this for six months. You've got to commit your life to this thing, that the ability to sustain this thing and not get off course is if you really get a value for Scripture Right? You put your roots deep in scripture and you put your roots deep in community. And anytime you begin to feel resistance to people in your life or, or feedback in your life or input or somebody going like, I'm not sure that's the Lord what you heard. Anytime you begin to feel it, you got to go, well, hold on a second. Like, what's going on with that? This is why the issue of offense is so dangerous for intercessors. Offense is dangerous for intercessors because it isolates you. The enemy will do anything he can to come in and just slowly isolate you and get you off to where you're no longer connected to community. And it comes in legitimate ways. We're legitimately hurt and, and where, you know, somebody did something wrong to us, whatever else. You, as an intercessor, you better have a very, very short record of wrongs. You better forgive quickly. You better love. You better, be, because you have to very, very tender heart, because if not, the enemy begins to isolate you off, and nobody understands me, and nobody gets it, and they're not hungry, and all this type of stuff begins to come in, and the goal is to get you isolated off. Are you with me on this? So listen, in your life, scripture, deeply, deeply rooted in the word of God. And again, listen, th- this is part of the issue is like when Lou gets up here and shares and it's, 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 it's all of this, it, it, it's how we live. I mean, again, this is, I'm in Sacramento right now. We literally in Sacramento because of a dream. Like somebody sent me a dream. That's why we're in Sacramento. So we, we, we follow the word of the Lord at a pretty intense level. But what you don't know about him is, is his love for the word of God, his roots in scripture, the years and years and years of developing his life in the soil of scripture. And, and you may not even see how people work this out, but, but what does the word of God say about this? What does the word of God say about this? It's just all part of it. It's like we want that, but we don't understand that that was cultivated in certain soils. Community and the Word of God. Those are the soils that your life's got to get into. Okay, that's my intro. Um, I will say this as well. I actually really feel, I'm going to give you a scripture for this, but I feel prophetically... Um, in this season, 
that the Lord wants to reveal himself to you through scripture. Now listen, again, I'm a very, I, I, I mean, I have a high value for encounters with the Lord and, 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 and you know, I mean, this, this is where I come from. But th- there's this thing that's been hitting me. In Luke chapter 24, um, the disciples were walking on the road and they're discouraged. And, that, you know, Jesus, who was the Messiah, the King, the promised one, he was going to defeat all their enemies. They're, con- they're, they're confused. They're, they're, they're hurt. They're disillusioned. All this stuff's going on. And Jesus, after he risen from the dead, kind of shows up next to them, but they don't recognize him. But listen to this, Luke 24, 27. And beginning at Moses, and he asks them, he goes, hey, what's going on? And they're like, where have you been? How do you not know about what just happened? They explained to him that, you know, the Messiah or the, 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 what they thought was who the king was, that they, he's dead. They don't know what they're going to do. And listen to this. And they don't recognize Jesus. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So he walks with them, and he begins to open up scripture, and he reveals to them scripture about himself. So, so they say, listen, will you stop with us and eat? So they still don't recognize him. They stop, they eat, they sit down, he breaks bread. When he does, they recognize him, and he vanishes. And then listen to this in verse 32, Luke 24, 32. And they said to one another, when they recognized it was Jesus, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? I really believe that in this season right now, that the Lord is going to force us back to script, listen, in a personal way. He's going to, he, he, he's saying, listen, I want to reveal myself to you, but, but, it, but you've got to get into scripture for this to happen. And many times I think that he withholds revealing himself in other ways because we have yet to fall in love and find him uh, revealed in scripture. And the disciples said, man, they said, man, our hearts, our hearts were burning within us while he talked and while he, while he explained scripture. Jesus could have just said, hey, fellas, it's me. Like on the road, he goes, they'd been walking with him. They knew Jesus. He could have said, hey, it's guys, it's me. It's me. I'm raised from the dead. He didn't. You know what he did? He opened up scripture to him. He said, he said, let me show you scripture. And they said, man, our hearts, they were, they were burning as he was explaining, as he, this was a phrase, as he opened up the scriptures to us. I'm going to tell you, God, Jesus wants to open this book up to you and reveal himself. And, and I, I feel in this season, in a big way, and again, listen, I, I in many ways am probably talking, overemphasizing this to millennials right now, but, but, I, but especially to millennials, <laughs> Jesus wants to reveal himself to you through this book. And if you're going to last, if you're going to bear long-term fruit, if you're really going to be able to get the word of the Lord and carry it, it's going to be because you put your roots deep in this word. And we can be inspired and applaud and love a man like Lou and not understand that that comes from the soil of roots deep in this book. I, I, I really believe that God wants to, um, um, again, as intercessors, our job is to get the word of the Lord and carry the word of the Lord. That's what we're going after. I want to I find out what he's saying, and I want to carry that. But, but your ability to hear is activated, uh, 
by this book. L- listen to this, Romans, uh, Romans chapter 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing. Listen, faith, it doesn't even say that faith comes by scripture. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I want to activate hearing in your life tonight, but the reality is if you don't get in this book, your hearing won't be activated. Hearing comes from the word of God. Faith is activated from hearing, but hearing is activated by the word of God. So, so the deeper I get into this thing, the more my hearing becomes activated, and the more that my hearing becomes activated, the more faith is ignited in my heart. If you're going to be an intercessor, faith is a big deal. You cannot pray without it. You, listen, as a believer, you can't please him without it. As an intercessor, you can't pray without it. There has to be faith ignited in your heart. Faith comes from hearing, but the ability to hear the word of the Lord is honestly tied to this thing. Faith, uh, uh, um, faith is one of those things where faith is activated. It's like a, it's like a key card. You know, Faith is activated by, by getting the word of the Lord. Uh, what you have to do with somebody who prays is you have to aggressively go after what God's saying. What's he saying? I want to know what you're saying. I want to uh, know what you're saying about my own personal life. I want to know what you're saying about my city. I want to know what you're saying about my nation. What is it that you're saying? You have to go after that word and the ability to hear that word. And when you hear that word, faith is activated within you. This is the, the key card that gives you access into the realm of faith. John, they, there's a story, uh, um, Hannah's a really great story for me, because when Samuel's born, th- this is the story that happens, Hannah is desperate for a child, she wants a son, she has a burden inside of her for a son, and, she, and the, Lord, the Bible says that the Lord closed her womb, and she had, her husband had another wife, she was, have, he, she was having kids, Hannah was having no kids, but, but her husband was very good to her, and and, and he gave her extra and clothed her and fed her and loved her. Uh, and, and he came to her one time. He said, Hannah, why are, you, why are you so sad? And he said, am I not better to you than ten sons? And you kind of see her try to brush herself off. And the next verse, she's on her face again. Yeah. Be- because there was something inside of her that said, listen, I'm not satisfied with a husband that's better to me than ten sons. I want a child. Yeah. Like, this is the level of desperation that was in her. I want a child. I want this thing that's burning inside of me. So she finds herself before the temple, and she's praying. She's crying out. She's pouring out her soul. And Eli comes, the priest, and he thinks she's drunk. He says, listen, put, why are you drunk right now? Put your wine away, and, and don't be here. And she turns to me and says, no, no, no. I, I'm not drunk. I'm a woman of sorrowful spirit. She says, I'm pouring out my heart before the Lord. And Eli turns to her. Now, this is a woman who's been pressing in, who's been in anguish, who's been crying out to God. And Eli turns to her and he says, you know, he says, the, the, the desire, what you've asked of the Lord, he's going to give it to you. She gets up. Everything changes from that moment on. She gets up. She gets up. She cleans herself off. She puts oil on. And she goes her way. This is the crazy thing. As you press into God... Many times we're asking God for something, but before he releases that to us, like she didn't get a son. What changed for her was not that she got pregnant. What changed for her was she got a word, and that's what she needed. She didn't need a son at that moment. She needed a word. 
there, there was something burning inside of her. And when she was on her her husband, who was better than 10 sons, couldn't get her up. Her husband, who was very good to her, could not get her to stop being sad. What changed for her was, was the, the man of God coming and releasing a word to her. When she received that word, she said, that's what I needed right there. What I needed was a word from God. Now that I have that word from God, that's all I was looking for. And I may not be physically pregnant, but I'm spiritually pregnant from that word. And and this is the thing that begins to happen. One of the things is you've got to go get the word of the Lord. If you don't have the word of the Lord, you've got to go get it. You've got to get before him. You've got to press in for this thing. Like, Lord, I I have to know what you're saying. Again, I, 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 I would say for your city, for your nation, but even personally, like, God, what are you saying about my kids? What are you saying about my finances? What are you saying about my future? What are you saying about my church? What are you saying about my city? What are you, what are you saying about this nation? You've got to go get those. But when you get them, you have to know how to carry them. There, there's, there, there's a big difference between receiving the word of the Lord, hearing the word of the Lord, and carrying the word of the Lord. These are two different things. Listen to John 15, 7. John 15, 7 says this. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. John 15 is a great passage. He's talking about intimacy and we abide in him and he abides in us and, and we're, you know, he's, the, he's the tree, we're the, the branches, all this stuff. But, but then he switches. He says, if you'll abide in me and my words will abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it should be done for you. What happens is, as you draw close to Jesus in intimacy, he speaks to you. You draw close, he speaks to you. His word comes and abides in you. When his word comes and, you, and, and it really abides in you, you gain access to a realm called faith, which is anything I, anything I ask, the Lord releases. The things I desire, the Lord releases. That realm called faith is accessed not just by your ability to hear the word, but by your ability to have that word abide in you. This is the big thing that the Lord's asking us is, will you carry what I said? Will you actually carry the word of the Lord? And there, uh, when I, my wife... So we have three kids. So we have been through, you know, three childbirths. And, and, uh, and if, if you've ever gone through the trying to get pregnant phase, you know the ritual of the pregnancy test. And so, you know, the pregnancy test is, you know, you go down, you buy these tests. We got these little EPT tests or whatever, and you come home. And, and then, uh, uh, you know, you pee on a little stick. And, and then, and then uh, you know, you put it up on the back of the toilet because it takes three minutes, and then you kind of sit and chat for a few minutes. How was your day? Good. How was your day? Yeah, everything was great. Good, good, good. And then, and then you turn and you look at this test. And, and the test, if there's one line, life goes back to normal. Nothing's different. We go about our day. Nothing's changed. But if there's two lines, my life as I know it will never be the same. In a matter of three minutes, and nothing really physically, it doesn't feel like anything happened, but in a matter of three minutes, a second line showed up. And when that second line showed up, everything's different. My wife kicks into hyper-preparation mode. Everything is locked around this thing. It's what we're talking about. It's what we're dreaming about. It's what we're preparing. Everything changes in three minutes because of a second line. 
Listen. The word of the Lord or the prophetic is a pregnancy test. And this, and this is what's important to understand. The Lord comes to you and he reveals in your life a second line. He comes and he says, he comes and what he's revealing to you is, is you're pregnant. You're pregnant. I'm, I'm showing you a second line in your life. But in, in the spiritual, listen, in the natural, ready or not, that baby's coming. Whether, you know, whether you're ready or it's, it's happening. In the spiritual, it doesn't work like that. In the spiritual, it's, it's connected to your ability to carry that word. It's connected to your ability to having that word abide in you. Is that I, I, I now am responsible to not just hear what he's saying, but to carry what he's saying. This is one of those things, there, there's, a, there's a book called, I, I believe that many times people, they love the word of the Lord, they, they enjoy it, they applaud it, it makes them feel good, they're inspired and encouraged by it, they just don't know how to carry it. They don't understand that when it comes, it's just revealing to them they're pregnant, and now you've got to go carry that thing until it comes full term. This is what Hannah did. Hannah received a word, and she carried it until, and, and listen, the amazing story about Hannah is, Hannah, what God, Hannah wasn't... God wasn't just going to give Hannah a son. She was giving him Samuel. Samuel was the prophet that prepared the way for King David and the Davidic kingdom, which is a sign and a type of the Messianic kingdom. That This is our job in life. You know what our job in life as intercessors is to do? Is to hear the word of the Lord, carry it, and give birth to a prophetic move of God that ushers in the reign of Jesus. This is what we do. And so, but, but in order to get there, you have to be able to carry it. There's a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It's a book on finances. And, and it, kind of the premise is, he talks about that, uh, you know, the, the American education system doesn't teach people, they don't educate people on finances. So his point was, everybody wants more money, but they don't know what to do with that money. So he said, you can, what you, he, his point is, you don't need more money, you need an education on what to do with that money. I feel like that sometimes with the prophetic. I feel like we all love the prophetic. We all love when the Lord speaks to us, but we don't really know how to carry it. Or we, don't really, we don't understand that, oh, our job is to carry this now. So many people want more prophetic words, and they don't even know what to do with what they've got. They're like, the Lord spoke to them, they just don't know what to do with it. And you have to say, no, 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 I'm going to carry this thing now. I'm gonna, this thing's going to, I'm going to walk this thing out. See, when you carry something, uh, I, I remember Lance Wall now, he was with us. He, he had a great... He had a great word where he said, listen, it's not just supposed to move from your head to your heart. It's supposed to move to your cellular level. That these are the phases. It goes from your head to your heart, but it goes from your heart into your cellular level. When the word of the Lord comes, when you carry it, that's where you've got to get it to. If you're really going to carry this thing until it happens, if you're really going to carry your word until it comes about, it can't just be in your head. You can't just applaud it and be inspired by it and encouraged by it. It's got to get to your heart, but it just can't stay in your heart. It's actually got to become a part of who you are. Like this thing, this, this is, it just becomes a part of who you are. It's hard to describe. I remember when I was, uh, uh, years ago, as the Lord was really talking to us, as the Lord was talking to us about mobilizing in the nation and a generation, all that type of stuff, I had an experience where we were at a conference in Reading. There was maybe about... Uh, there was a little over 2,000 of these young people in this room. And we, we were in this moment. 
Jake Hamilton was leading worship. He was leading this hallelujah chorus. And they dropped off all instruments. And we were about an hour and 15 minutes into worship. The entire place, front to back, left to right, was all, it was this kind of moment of abandoned worship, consecration before the Lord. It's hard to fully describe the moment, but it was this moment of just consecration on the Lord. No instruments. The entire place was singing hallelujah at a hundred and it was like 115 decibels or something. It was unbelievably loud. And they just singing before the Lord this moment. And I was on stage off to the side. I was on my hands and knees before the Lord. And, um, and in this moment, in this moment, again, I'd been in youth ministry uh, 10 years by then or something maybe. And the Lord came. He, he said something to me he's never said before up to that moment. And, and I'm on my hands and knees and he came. He said, Banning, if you'll ask me for a generation in America, I'll give you one. And, and, and I, just, I just said, God, I want, a, I want a generation in America. God, would you give me one? And, and again, some stuff happened, and I knew that the Lord was putting an anointing on my life to take what was happening with a couple thousand kids and see it impact an entire generation. From that moment, though, that word has to get cellular in my life. I can't just know it. It can't just be something I, it warms my heart. It's got to be something that becomes a part of who I am. And that happens as you carry that word. It doesn't immediately happen. You begin to take that word and say, God, listen, you said you'd give me a generation in America. You said that you would awaken an entire generation to live wholeheartedly before you, consecrated unto the Lord, uh, abandoned to your cause in the earth, that you were going to take what was happening in that room and see it impact an entire generation. You begin to carry this thing, and the more you carry that word, the more that thing becomes cellular in your life, where you're no longer... Uh, our job as intercessors is not just to pray over things, it's to pray what he said about things. And this is very important because I don't just pray over my kids, I pray what he said about my kids. I don't just pray over a nation, I pray what he said about a nation, I don't just pray over a city. I say, I, and, and that, what he said, has become cellular in my life where my, my prayers are, are not just, you know, I'm not just praying over something, I am praying what he said about that thing. Frank Bartleman, who uh, um, prayed in the Azusa Street Revival, you know, 1904, it gets released in 1906, but um, if, if you ever, there's a book called Azusa Street by him that you should read, just wet my way through it, there's a smaller version called Another Wave of Revival, but, but this is what he said, listen to this, he's talking about this progression that happened to him in intercession, he's talking about he begins to pray, and he began to pray, he'd get with some friends, he'd be up all night, all night long, he'd be praying, but he talks about this progression that happened of intercession in his life and listen to this he said my life was by this time literally swallowed up in prayer he said i was praying day and night there's this is i mean he says listen listen to this my life was by this time literally swallowed up in prayer i was praying day and night I believe that it, that that spirit of intercession can become so a part of who you are that, that even those that are not called to be in the prayer room 24-7, but, but you know, work as teachers and work as whatever else, that there can be a spirit of intercession that comes on you and you say, literally, day and night, my life has been swallowed by prayer. I am carrying a word that I am possessed by. I become possessed by a word that he spoke to me. This is the thing. It becomes a burden. 
I, I, in fact, and the burden sounds so negative, but there, there's this really great, there's two kind of, uh, Moses is about to burn out. And so Jethro comes to him, his father-in-law. He says, dude, you're doing it all wrong. Let's set up a structure. He sets up the structure. He says, there are going to be people over these people, people over these people. But, but there's another structure that the Lord set up in Numbers. And Moses says, and God tells Moses, go get 70 elders, bring them over here. I'm going to take the spirit that's on you, and I'm going to put it on them. And they're going to carry the burden of the people with you. There's something that happens in your life when you really get that word. And when you get before the Lord and he speaks to you. When the Lord really begins to, to release a word to you and, and you understand, I, just can't, I can't just applaud that word. I can't just be inspired by that word. I can't just like that word. I've got to take that word now and let it abide in my life. This is what he said. I'm going to carry this thing. And it's, it's going to become a part of who I am. That, that it begins to look like a burden. This is what he described. He, he said, Moses, listen, I'm going to put a burden in them. And what happens is, is when you get a burden, things shift for you. There's a, there, I don't know if this will make sense, but the, the old covenant was externally motivated. The new covenant is internally motivated. Because the old covenant did not have the spirit of God living inside of you. The new covenant has the spirit of God living inside of you. So the old covenant required external motivations. The new covenant is a different motivation. The new covenant is an internally motivated people. Grace is an internal motivation. Law is an external motivation. And what happens in intercession, this is what, there's a burden that comes. It's a little bit like, uh, it's, it's a little bit like the difference between a babysitter and a parent. My daughter, she's a babysitter. She's 16 years old. She'll go babysit kids, and she does a great job. She's faithful with it. And, but, but she goes over there, and she knows she's going to get paid money, and there's a list of things that she's to do. She used to, you know, make sure she feeds the kids, make sure she cleans up, make sure they get a bath, make sure they get read, you know, a, a book, and make sure they get put to bed at a certain time. And she does those faithfully, but those are, those are all external things to motivate her. It's an external structure set up so that she can get to the right place. A parent doesn't need those. Because what a parent has that a, that a babysitter doesn't have is a burden. I have a burden for my kids. Therefore, from that internal motivation, from that place of being burdened, I make sure my kids eat, and I make sure they get a bath, and I make sure they get love, and I make sure they get put to bed at the right time, and I'm not getting paid for this. In fact, it's costing me money. (laughs) Lots of it. Right? because, Because as a parent... There's a, there's a burden that gets inside of you. Trust me, you don't need to tell me to pray for my daughter. I need no external pressure, no external motivation. There is something inside of me that motivates me to get on my face before the Lord and say, God, this is what I'm asking. This is what, this is what I'm coming to you for. There's an internally motivated thing. The body of Christ has to get away from extra. We don't, listen, I'm pastoring a church right now. When I, I'm like, listen, I do not want to stand up here every Sunday 
And again, they're doing a great job. But I said, I'm just going to tell you right now, I don't want to figure out how to come in another angle and motivate you. I want to cast vision. I want to do all that. But somehow try to convince you to do something, to somehow. No, listen, go get the word of the Lord. Let this thing get inside of you. Let a burden begin to grow in you. So that when we call a meeting to pray, it's not because we convinced all of you out of guilt or duty or obligation, but because something inside of you knows, like, I'm going to, you don't have to remind me to get to that prayer meeting. I'm going to be there. You want to know why? Because there's a burden that's that's inside of my life that says I have to go after this thing. This is the word of the Lord. As you take that word and let it abide in you, that's where that burden begins to happen. And that burden, it's the Spirit of God inside of you groaning. It's the Spirit of God making intercession. It's that internal motivation that begins to motivate you. Listen, if you need external motivation, I'm not talking about leadership and vision. I I love all that stuff, right? But I'm talking about if you need external motivation to do something as a believer, you need to go and get before the Lord and say, God, i got to have this thing get inside of me. Listen, you can get excited for a season. You really can. You can get excited about a vision of revival in New England. But you will not last and you will not sustain that prayer until it becomes a burden. And that burden comes from the word of the Lord. That burden comes from God speaking to you. Putting a love inside of you putting a responsibility inside of you. Do you know what? This, if you're going to sustain intercession, I think there's two real key things if everything's rooted in Scripture, right? It's intimacy and it's responsibility. This issue of responsibility has somehow kind of like... We, you know... I'm trying to figure out how much. Um, we're so passion-driven right now and I love it. You know, we had a guy come to our church. He goes, you know, Purpose Driven Life sold like 50 million copies or something. And he goes, you want to know why it sold so many copies? Because the World War II generation and the ones raised right after that, nobody was asking them what their passion was. Like, you get out of college, nobody's like, what's your passion? Like, to provide for my family. I'm going to get a job. <laughs> like, nobody was asking you, like, you go, get, you go get a job and you work and you provide for your family. And now the only question everybody's asking is like, what's your passion? Like, what's your passion? What's your passion? So people are like, I just don't feel passion for it. You know, you're like, well. So, you know, he's like, you get up and like, hey, can we help? Can we help widow so-and-so move at 7 a.m. on Saturday? And they're like, I just don't really feel a passion for that. (laughs) I'll retweet it if you'd like, you know. Which, can I give you a soapbox that I'm on right now? I, I love social media, and I think it does a lot of good stuff. But we think we're social activists in a way because we're like, like we, we don't fully know what it is to really sacrifice for a cause. Like, before social media, if you wanted to sacrifice for a cause, you actually had to get up and give money or go to it. Like, if you wanted to end, if you wanted to end AIDS in Africa, if you had a heart for AIDS in Africa, you know, you, you actually had to get up and go to Africa. You actually, you know, you had to give money or something to it. Uh, you know, the civil rights movement and all this type of stuff. These guys are on the front lines, and there's somewhat a little bit of thing right now of like, no, I'm passionate about this cause. Well, how? Have you not seen my Facebook page? 
is, it is loaded full with good articles about it and everything else. So, but but there, there's a sense of responsibility that when you get this burden, there's a sense of responsibility that comes. When I was, I went to school, I went to school in Southern California. I went to school in Southern California, and it's so from, from where I went to school in Costa Mesa to Redding, it was about a, it was a 10-hour drive. It's just straight up one freeway, uh, Interstate 5. And I remember we were driving home one day, and I was with my friend in a truck. It was, it was, Pete was driving, it was his truck. I'm in the middle, and my friend Steve's there. We're about an hour and a half away from Redding, and we pull over to a gas station. We've got to get gas, and we pull over, and we pull up to the pump, and we get out, and Pete goes and pays for gas, and I go to the restroom. Steve's getting snacks. We kind of finish up all of our stuff there, get in the truck, and we take off. About 15 minutes down the road, the truck just kind of sputters and stops. And we kind of coast over to the side, and, and, I, and we're like, what's going on? And why, why did it break down? We're so close to home. And, and Pete's like, I don't know, man. I've never had my truck break down on me. And so we're trying to figure out what's going on. I look at the gauges. They all look fine. And then I look at the gas gauge, and it's on empty. And I, and I said, I said, Pete, Pete, did you put gas in the truck? And he said, no, I went inside and paid for it. I thought Steve was getting gas in the truck. And we both look at Steve and Steve's like, don't look at me guys. I was getting snacks. I thought Banny was putting gas in. They both look at me. I'm like, don't look at me. I was, I was in the restroom. I thought Pete was putting gas in. We'd literally driven up to the gas pump, pulled in, paid for it, got our stuff, got in, never put gas in and left. Right? Right? Welcome to the body of Christ. This, listen, this, does that sound harsh? I'm not, I'm not mean to the body of Christ right now. I love the body of Christ. I, but no. That was, that was too sarcastic. Listen, there is this thing somehow where we show up every day and we're like, somebody's praying, right? Like, like I, somebody's praying, right? And it's like that guy over there, the guy with the Christian t-shirt on, I know he's praying. He's like, don't look at me, man. I just bought this t-shirt. I thought the guy was praying. It's like, don't look at me. I thought he was praying. And we all, like, listen, when you get a burden, guess who's not wondering who's parenting my kids? Like, I'm not looking around going, who's parenting my kids? I thought you were doing it. I'm not doing it. I thought you were doing it. There's a burden inside of you. That, that it doesn't matter if it's passion-driven or not, there's a responsibility that rests inside of you because the word of the Lord has come to you, has put a burden inside of you, and you, like, you're going to get up and pray, whether you feel like it or not, it doesn't matter, because I have a responsibility. And, if, and we live like this. If I don't pray, nobody else is going to pray. I don't look around thinking it's somebody else's responsibility to pray. It's my responsibility to pray. It's my city, it's my generation, it's my nation, it's, it's mine, and I, the Lord's given me a burden, I've got to pray. And it's, it's this thing that will get you through something called the bearing long season. And, and, and listen, Jesus tells a story, he says, about, you know, about persistence. It's not just prayer that's answered, it's persistent prayer that's answered. And Jesus makes this point consistently. He says, I'm going to teach you about prayer, but I'm also going to tell you about a widow with an unjust judge. I'm also going to tell you about a friend that comes at midnight. I'm going to tell you a couple stories about persistence. But that persistence happens when I carry, when I've, I've, got a, I've got a word that has produced an internal burden in me. I don't need consistent external motivation to keep praying because the Lord's put his spirit inside of me. And the spirit of God is inside of me. 
This is what he says, Luke 18. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him? Listen to this. Though he bears long with them, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith in the earth? Listen, faith is manifested. Faith is proven that even when I press in and he doesn't answer as quickly as I thought he would, even when I press in and it looks a little, even when I press in and I am in a bearing long season, I continue to pray. I continue to press in because I've been possessed by a word. God has spoken to me. It doesn't matter if it hasn't happened yet. I have no other options. There's no plan B. This is it. And I press in on this thing. And the Lord looks and says, in the bearing long season, you pressed in. In the bearing long season, you didn't quit. In the bearing long season, you kept going forward. That is faith. And that faith is activated by hearing his word. That faith is activated by his word abiding in you. If you want to access faith that gets you through those seasons where you're praying and nothing's happening, where you're praying and it looks like it couldn't be further from what God told me. He spoke to me and I I couldn't, literally, I'm not sure I could be further away from what he said. We just keep going. I got one option. Like, I, this is not somebody else's responsibility. This is not just a passion-driven prayer movement. It is a responsibility-driven prayer movement because the Spirit of God is inside of me and He's given me a burden. I want us to pray. I just want us to pray, and I don't know how long we're supposed to go or not go, but you want to go up there real quick? That's... Just close your eyes just for a second. Actually, I want you to stand up.